Hello, hello. Feels like I'm a stranger to this. Two weeks away and oh, no. I'm back. Hello, Cheryl Shaw. Hello, Sarah. Great to be here today. Oh, it is. When we're talking pet chat, I've missed talking pet chat whilst being away, so it's lovely to be back. You oh, see, I can't even do my, my gig anymore. I've just whacked the microphone. <laughs> You're talking flowers or oils. You've got a beautiful bouquet of flowers in a little brooch today. Yes, Sarah. Got that lapel of botanicals on and we're going to be talking about essential oils and your pets. Is this a good thing or a bad? Should I be putting oils on gears or not? Oh, please, no. We need to make sure we're doing things properly. Okay, we'll find out about that. We'll have Dr. Paul McCarthy in as well today to answer your questions. If you do have one, please feel free to give us a call now, 49216216. Welcome. We are talking pet chat. 49216216 is our number. If you've got a question, maybe an inquiry, a concern about your pet today, Dr. Paul McCarthy can answer those questions for you. When we come that back though, Cheryl's going to chat about our dogs and essential oils because I guess there's do's and don'ts. I don't really know anything about pets and essential oils. Yeah, it's really interesting, Sarah. They can affect obviously the skin, they can affect their nose in breathing and, um, you know, we often take it for granted. We put on those candles, the essential oils, you know, the misters and things in our house and it really can create some problems for animals. Really interesting. Mm. The the most I know about it is because I I burn essential oils but my husband buys me some bath oils as well because I love a bath. Although recently I hopped in and thought, oh, I'm starting to burn. He got the wrong type. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be careful. Absolutely, Sarah. Yeah. All right. We'll learn all about that in just a couple of minutes on 2 and URFM. Now, Cheryl, a topic I don't know if we've ever covered on Pet Chat, one that I can't remember. Oh, that's good. We're talking pets and essential oils. Yes. Yeah. Most people don't realise the potential dangers of essential oils. We think just because they're from nature, their plant origin, that they're safe. But some compounds can cause a real lot of issues for some pets. Right. Now, it's like the food we eat. Some things we can eat, we can't give our pets. So we've mm. got to really consider what we're doing in our lives. Now, Often, you know, these products are used in cleaning, like you said, in your your products in the bath. They're used as air fresheners. And, and even in the car, you get some that smell so revolting. Mm, they're they, very overpowering, yes, some yeah. of them. Some of them smell like public toilets. Anyway, <laughs> they do. <laughs> some are used in medicinal things and aromatherapy. And people often use them in these diffusers for their health and well-being. But I found a problem with mine. I was given this beautiful, it looks like a little volcano. I've got one of those. And it missed up the top? Yes. Okay. Well, when I was using mine... I found Avalon sneezing all the time. And so I put this together. When it was on, he would sneeze. When it was off, there was no sneezing. So what actually happens with those um, that type of volcano diffuser, there's ultrasonic vibrations that make the oil go into the, the water particles and then it's dispersed into the mist into the air. Yep. And for some animals, it can make their... Um, nasal passages really irritated and so you'll get the rhinitis you'll get sneezing ah, but okay there's another thing that can happen with it sometimes those small particles with the essential oils in it land on cats and then cats lick themselves and then they can ingest it now cats have a really um um very very uh, should i say fragile but um they when they lick things they can become toxic really easily. Yep. So that toxicity in the cat um, can affect their liver. And when Paul comes in, he can probably explain a little bit more about the effects that toxicity can have on cats. But certainly we need to make sure that they're not actually um, 
ingesting any essential oils. So we find that some people think, oh, you know, it's lovely for us. We can, you know, blend an oil onto our skin and massage it in. And I'm actually a massage therapist and a myofunctional therapist, and I would never use an essential oil on a dog. Because what happens, some essential oils aren't true therapeutic grade and they're perfume-based oils. And what can happen when you put an oil on a dog's or a cat's skin, it can cause um, caustic burning. So we need to make sure that we don't ever use uh, even tea tree oil, things that we think are safe. Yes. And they are safe for us, but not on our pets. I guess it can um, muck with the oils in their skin as yeah. well and change the, the balance there. Yeah, and, and but burning, actually, chemical mm, burning of the skin. Um, and also some people think, oh, you know, my dog's got a, a smelly breath, I'll put some additive into the water. Please never go doing anything like that. Always consult with your veterinarian. If you think, oh, I'd like to try a particular thing, um, ask your vet because if your pet has an underlying health issue, it could have an impact. Now, we do have some holistic vets that do recommend certain um, essential oils. Okay. But these are definitely pure therapeutic oils and they will advise you how to use them. So it's important that you're not just thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to burn this or put this down, add something to the pet's um, food because you could get into a lot of trouble. So pets can get sneezing, drooling, they can become quite lethargic and just um, very uncomfortable and like I said Avalon was very uncomfortable with our Mr Burning and you know his sneezing was incredible so just be aware of what your pet is doing if you are burning anything Um, and some candles that we burn as well actually um, aren't particularly healthy not only for our pets but for us some have lead wicks in them and um, they can be quite dangerous because they're giving off toxic chemicals The other thing is if you are burning candles like that, try to burn something that has a paper wick or a cotton wick, not something that's going to give off these toxic chemicals. Some good advice, Cheryl, and I guess one that, as I said a lot of us might not think about, but very interesting if you are at home and you're finding that when you're burning those oils, like your situation, you might be finding your pets um, are sneezing or reacting differently, have a think about it because it could potentially be the oils that you're burning and using that yeah. are impacting on your animals. And Paul, one of the things with um, with birds and cats, they both have really sensitive respiratory tracts, don't they? Yeah, sure. So lots of chemicals can affect those guys more than sort of say us, for example. We have a lot more... Um, sort of nasal mucosa, which tends to sort of, uh, is there for warming and for, for cleaning, but also uh, in avian species in particular, they don't have that in the, in pre- in the same um, levels. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, Welcome, Paul. <laughs> He's just arrived. For listeners, I, give, have, I have run from the car let's park. Let's give him a class. Yes. Good to see you. Thank you. I was trying to sneak in and not be known. Yes. <laughs> I don't let anyone sneak in. <laughs> But, yeah, so birds don't have that, which is often why they have sort of canaries in mines because they're much more uh, quickly affected by gases and changes. Uh, of course. Yeah. 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 In yeah. the olden days, of course. Yeah. That's not, not allowed anymore. Oh, it's not. No, <laughs> absolutely not. And just breathing in some um, chemicals can have a really bad effect on cats in particular. Yeah. They're, interestingly, cats have a really strong link between smell and taste. Um, and so lots of things that we find very easy to inhale and actually enjoy the smell, cats can find really noxious. Um, it can cause hypersalivation. You can get um, bronchodilation, even bronchoconstriction. 
Uh, it's why cats are more prone to feel on asthma. So there's lots of things that, that, that um, really affect cats more than other species. Yeah, so I really suggest checking with your vet if you're going to be using any essential oils, making sure that it's safe if you're going to be burning anything. Certainly, um, you know, the application to essential oils, you need to speak to your vet or your holistic vet about that. We are talking pet chat. We're going to take a quick break. If you've got your questions, please give us a call. Paul's here. Hooray. He's ready to answer. <laughs> He's excited. He's made it. We'll, we'll let you get your breath back. <laughs> Thank you. 49216216. We have a free line right now for you on Pet Chat. Having a look at our dog of the week, though, I just needed to give this a mention, Cheryl, because it's a bit of a heartbreaker. Mm. River, 10-year-old German Shepherd, and I know a lot of people hear that and think, oh, you know, older uh, dog and also a German Shepherd. But look, she looks beautiful. She looks like an old girl and she's a sweet girl. Very sad story. Her owner has passed away. uh, And I think that, you know, relatives were possibly feeding her for a bit, but there wasn't, you know, a lot of time spent with her. So she's so used to being in a loving environment. If you can give her a good life for the remainder of her life, it would just be beautiful. She likes to sleep in the morning and is currently living with another German Shepherd a very large bossy cat and a few chooks. So she's a great oh, girl. She's she, beautiful. Yeah, she enjoys the company of the dog, uh, gives the cat a wide berth. So, look, she certainly is comfortable living with other animals and she really does um, need to sleep inside at night. So if you're in a position where you can look after this girl and give her some happiness in the rest of her life, then please head to our website, 2NURFM.com, uh, and click on Pet Chat and then our Pet of the Week. Okay, let's get some of these calls happening. Now, Robin, uh, you're in Tanam, but thank you for waiting. You've got a 20-year-old cat and you've got some questions for Dr. Paul. Yes, I have. Um, obviously, she's pretty old for her for a cat. Um, I'm concerned about she's mewing when she's lying down a lot and she also wants to be fed all the time. Uh, she she just drives me crazy till she gets fed again and... I believe this is probably a disease, but I actually can't afford to take to a vet and get all the testing done. Uh, I also feel like if I took her, they'd probably put her down. What do you think, Dr Paul? Yeah, I guess this comes down to a quality of life discussion, Robin. If her quality yeah. of life is still good, um, I think I would get the testing done. Certainly, I think the disease we're talking about is hypothyroidism, yeah. which is where yeah. the thyroid gland is overactive. Um, yeah. And because of that... Often it means that um, they can't meet their metabolic needs, so they're yeah. really, really hungry. Yeah. And no matter how much they eat, they just can't meet those requirements. So It sounds like her. Yeah. But it sounds like this can... I know you've spoken about it before, Paul, and this is something that can be um, treated Correct. with medication. Yeah, and- yeah. There's even a new diet out there. So there's a new diet called Hills w- oh, sorry, YD, yeah. um, but you can feed your cat, which actually takes the iodine out of a diet, which means you can make less thyroid hormones, so it sort of treats the disease by limiting the amount of iodine in the diet. And you could talk to your vet about that. Could, could they do that, give me that, without doing all the testing and everything? You could certainly talk to your, to your vet about that. Um, sometimes if you treat the thyroid disease, uh, mm. it, it can worsen an underlying kidney disease. So the simplest thing would be to, if you do go to your vet, it's a prescription diet, so you need, need your vet to sign off on it. Um, mm. But if you could take a urine sample or have the vet collect a urine sample while you're there, that's yeah. a, a cheaper test to sort of assess renal function. So we'll let you have a, a drink, Paul, and, and catch your breath. So 
I All know. Right. So I guess the the worry, Robin, understandably, is uh, is the financial <laughs> side yes. of things. So what you're saying, Paul, is that there are a couple of different options. So if you are yep. on um, a bit of a, a budget, you know, you can yep. opt for a test over another that may All save right. you some money. Is that y- correct? Yeah, and look, and certainly with the YD diet, which is uh, uh, you know your cheapest option probably to, to manage this if it is thyroid disease, um, is that if you do the test. That's, it only needs to be done once, and it'll either rule it in or rule it out. And so right. in this so circumstance, you'd yeah, mm. you'd know. And I think possibly in this sort of situation, if your cat's doing well, your vet's not going to necessarily recommend euthanasia because it really comes down to quality of life. And by the sounds yeah. of things, yeah. she seems okay. But I, I think yeah. certainly we have a similar thought, you and I, that this is probably thyroid disease and, and worth a chat. All right. But 20 okay. is a great age, it's too, so age. well done, yeah, yeah. you know. She's, she's, she's been very, very well, uh, yes. Oh, Fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling us, Robin, and, um, yeah, good luck investigating that a little further. Let's go to another call now, and we're going to go to Gary in Swansea. Now, you've got a Kelpie pup, and he's eating the pot plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got two Kelpies. I've got the mother and the, and the daughter. The daughter's nine months old, and uh, there's not a plant in the yard this dog doesn't eat. <laughs> no, and that, that's I've got a puppy doing the same thing at home. So, so my commiserations. This is a really common scenario for puppies. So, um, kelpies are really mentally alert. Um, they're looking for jobs. They're looking for ways to fill up their day. Um, and so, the simplest with sort of the sort of the plant chewing scenario is you replace that activity with another activity you'd prefer them to do. Now, for Kelpies, they like problem solving. So it could be looking at puzzle balls where you sort of hide food in puzzle balls and they have to try and work out how to get the food out of the puzzle ball. You can do scavenger hunts. So you scatter food in the backyard or around your home um, and then you sort of allow your Kelpie to sort of go find the food. So you're sort of getting in on that sort of scavenging and hunting um, uh, behaviour. Um, or the really simple things, just play ball and take for walks. So often if you can keep their energy burnt off in other activities, there's less time for them to spend chewing on your plants. But it's a really common scenario for all puppies. They're experiencing their world by taste, and so putting lots of things in their mouth gives them an idea of what their world's about. Are they likely to grow out of it, Paul? So is it something that the puppy will grow out of as they get older? Generally, most puppies will. The reason I mentioned with working dogs, um, sometimes they won't because it is that it becomes their task for the day. Okay. Is I need to get this job completed, so I'm going to keep working on this plant till I'm happy that it's chewed to pieces. So uh, it, can, it can it can be a matter that that sometimes is about trying to tap into another um, behavioural response that they're used to doing. And for kelpies, they're work dogs, so you want to give them jobs to do. Are you a gardener, Gary? No, I'm not a gardener, but the dog is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one gardener's enough in the household then. <laughs> yeah, I, I can suggest what we do, which is put all the pots higher up the dog can't reach, but that for a kelpie can be very, very high because they've got a good jump reflex as well. Uh, she, she, she's, uh, she's done the hedges down the driveway. She's, she loves aloe vera. Okay. Well, fortunately, aloe vera isn't going to do too much damage, but um, as far as helping you with your, your sores and wounds, you won't be able to rub it on if it's all gone, I guess. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I, I did think of um, putting, you know, like the food around the yard, but she's a, she's a, at this stage she's still a hole digger. 
Oh, and you, you can work that yeah. to your advantage. So I've got lots of clients who use sand pits, um, and they literally bury the food a little bit into the sand, um, not so deep that the dog can't still smell it. Um, and those dogs, you know, they're, they're killing two birds, they're getting the digging behaviour ticked off, but they're doing it by finding their food or toys or treats or um, chew toys. Um, and it's quite a good way to keep those sorts of dogs who are, who are digging motivated to do it in an appropriate place, such as a sand pit, but also, you know, stop them chewing the plants at the same time. That's cool. Yeah, beautiful. All right. I'll I'll give them a try. Perfect. Get a sand pit. Good on you, Gary. Thanks for the call. We've got a free line now. If you've got a question, 49216216. Now, Dr. Paul, did you say that you've got a new puppy? Yes, yeah. Oh. Yeah, her her name's, well, her full name is the Brandon Rose, but we've we've shortened it to B. (laughs) How long's B been part of the family? Uh, We've now had her, she's just gone 12 weeks. We've had her six. Oh, wow. And look, I, I, I had forgotten, like all parents, how much hard work an infant is in the house. So um, I'm on constant paper towel wee controls. So okay. <laughs> we're, we're slowly learning that wees are done outside, not inside. But um, It's I, good to hear that a vet has everyone these issues has the same too issues. when they get a new That's puppy. It. Yeah. As far as the as number two, she's all over that. That's always on outside. But number ones, there's still the excitement with, with that. So um, when we see her, she does an excitement wee. So there's those ones as well. Well, I and hope I you're doing the right things when yeah, you come home and not getting excited with correct. her. Correct. We do the whole no <laughs> excitement on arrivals, no excitement on departures. Um, uh, to be honest, she, she has fitted in beautifully. Oh, um, and even our old cat, who not quite as old as Robin's, but up at 18, she's initially wasn't so happy, but we're now able to have us all in the living room at the same time and no one's angry. So <laughs> we're, we're making inroads. So you're all sitting around together watching Ninja Warrior and getting very excited. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, we're talking pet chat. We would love to hear from you. 49216216. Going to take a call now. Hello, who have we got here? Oh, hello. I want to find out... Um if we can um, spray weed spray on the backyard with a puppy. Yeah, so check what is the active ingredient in your weed spray. So there are animal-friendly ones. Um, have a look at Bunnings or whatever your local garden store is. There are some that you can use. Certainly avoid anything that says pyrethrin or permethrin. Um, in that ingestion of those products is quite toxic. So, um, But fortunately, there are a lot of what we call the green herbicides now, which are, are made from natural products, and um, most of those are animal-friendly. But fortunately, a lot of them will now state on the pack whether they are toxic um, and certainly avoid those ones. So there are alternatives, so, so don't, don't feel that there's nothing you can use, but just you know, certainly research your product before you purchase. Well, and I also want to ask, of my, my puppy, she's seven months old, she's chasing the shadows. How, how yeah. <laughs> so shadow chasing is a really common... What, what breed of dog is it? She's not, she's not a bull terrier, is she? It's a Okay, yeah. So, so lots of these guys are, again, they're, they're finding... They're making their own games. And so... Um, Shadow chasing isn't a particularly um, negative game. Um, it sort of keeps them keeps them occupied. It's low maintenance. It's low maintenance. And, and no make, one quits first. That's it, making their own games. Well, unless the sun goes down. Yeah, unless the sun goes down, <laughs> that's right. But, um, yeah, again, uh, similar to the digging and the plant chewing and things, you can redirect that behaviour. So if, you're, if it's becoming frustrating, when the behaviour f- um, looks like it's about to first kick off, 
um, call the dog to you and commence a different game, a different play activity. So that what happens if you don't do an activity for long enough, the brain will extinguish it. So if you can catch the action before it starts and redirect it to an action you'd prefer, you'll be able to sort of get that one to stop. Good advice. Let's mm. go to Bronwyn now in Nelson Bay. You've got a question for Dr. Paul about your ragdoll cat. I do. Hello there. Hello, Ron. Um, I've got this gorgeous rescue cat. She's um, two and a half years old, so the lady had to go into care. But she defecates everywhere, in the garage, and I just don't know what to do with her. So I assume she was an outdoor cat before you rehomed her, is that correct? Well, the lady had to go into care, apparently. I think there might have been more an issue with the... um, Mess everywhere, personally, but I'm not sure. So you've got litter trays around and the cat's preferring to go outside in places or it's inside no, as well? No, it's a house cat. It's a house cat. Okay, so so what can often happen is for house cats is that if they haven't been trained with litter trays as kittens, they're, they're not used to using one. Um, and so it can be an adaptive phase where they don't actually know what a litter tray is about. Um, what you can try and do initially is place the litter tray as close as you can to a door or a window so that they know if they're used to going outside, that they've then got this as an avenue where they're trying to get to their outside defecation area. Yep. Lots, yep. Of, lots of defecation <laughs> is related to marking of territory, and particularly for a new cat in a new environment. Oh that, that that can play a role as well as if you have if you have a cat who's not so sure about where she is, she'll try and mark as much territory as she can. All right, good luck with that, Bronwyn. Four nine two one six two one six. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Ron in Rutherford, we will get to you and your question about your galah and Louise in, Eliba- in Elibana. I know um you've got some issues with your dog as well, so we'll make sure that Paul helps you with that one on two N U R F M. Ron in Rutherford, you've got a galah and you've got a question about that for Dr. Paul. Yeah, mate, how you going? Well, thank you. Good. Listen, I've got a galah. It's under 12 months old. I'll be quick, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hand-bred. Comes out three times a day, watches TV at night and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And it, it's pulling its feathers out every so often. Is that because it's young or...? No. So are they, are they the, chest, the chest feathers that are being plucked out? A couple of little ones, yeah. Yeah. So this is a boredom-anxious bird. So when, when birds are feeling anxious or bored or not feeling particularly where they need to be, they do what we call, we call feather plucking. So they, they physically remove the feathers from generally their chest and their, the front of them. They're easy to reach places. Yep. Um, and so particularly in a young galah, um, it, it can be tricky because galahs certainly are what we call flock species they they enjoy a very gregarious nature they they love lots of other birds around them and so sole occupant galahs can be quite prone to developing these feather plucking boredom anxious behaviors so what i could certainly suggest to you is to try and have as much environmental stimulation for the bird as physically possible so galahs are really intelligent they're they're problem solvers they're they're the you know, the Einsteins of the bird world, the, oh, par- the parrots yeah, are really smart. So it's about trying to have as many different activities that the galah could, could achieve and get involved in so that they can displace away from the fact that they're alone um, and that they're anxious. So um, there's a lot of good websites you can go to, uh, Ron, to look for parrot 
in behavioural enrichment. So if you sort of Google parrot behavioural enrichment, um, there's lots of different homemade things you can do to, to keep a bird entertained, as well as, you know, proprietary brand um, products you can use as well. But get onto it early because sometimes it can become such a habitual behaviour that, that they even when you do enrich their, their environment, they're, they're so habituated to this self-trauma that you, you can't break the cycle. Yeah, I know. Um, I had one when I died years ago type of thing. And, yeah, it, it pulled its feather out. Like I said, it, it's got toys. It's got everything. It gets out all the time. When it says hello, uh, good morning, you know, it wants to get out. It gets out the cage. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it, 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 this means we've really got to have lots of games, activities, problem solving. Sometimes it can be worsened too if you have a lot of galahs in your in your backyard or in your in your local area. If they can yep. hear their species around them, that can make them quite anxious and 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 lonely as well. So, um, yeah, get in early. I, I I sadly see lots of very traumatized galahs. So. Yeah, act, act quickly. Act now, okay. Act now. Thanks for the call, Ron. We really appreciate it. Uh, Louise, you're in Elibana, and you've got a dog with bladder stones. Yes, I do. Are they, you know, have the bladder stones been characterised? Yes, they're struvites. Okay, so struvite, fortunately, are the easiest ones to keep away. So struvite forms in dogs that have underlying urinary tract infections and high salt diets and have low alkalinity or sort of high pH um, urine. So there are specific diets you can feed your dog, and generally if you control the infection with antibiotics first up and you go on to these acidifying low-salt struvite-based diets, you won't see them again. Uh, Yeah, she had them removed uh, 13 weeks ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I put her onto the Hills urinary diet, which mm-hmm. she wouldn't eat. Okay. We couldn't, we couldn't get her to eat that. And then we tried the Royal Cannon one, yep. and she's not particularly fussed about that either. Um, she did have still have an infection, which has been treated for... Um, it was treated for seven weeks with antibiotics, mm-hmm. and that's completely cleared. Terrific. But um, we've had it checked again, and the bladder stones are back. She's got more forming. Yeah. So, so how much? Um, so I'll, how much are you supplementing the other diet with? Um, she just won't eat it. Yeah. So Generally, a dog will, will eventually eat if 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 not sort of tempted with something else. So, so dogs generally, well, I say generally, I, I have heard no dogs who's ever, who've ever starved themselves to death. So if you're persistent and keep reintroducing the food at each mealtime, um, the dog will eventually eat that food. Yeah, we, we tend to be a little, if a dog doesn't eat one meal, we try and replace it with the next one. So it's often a matter of riding that storm out. But struvite will be very difficult to maintain if you don't have the diet right. You could talk to your vet about using another tablet called acid urine, which is a tablet to acidify the urine artificially, um, and then looking at making a homemade diet. They're quite complicated to do because you've got to try and make sure you're low salt and you've not got too much protein in there as well. But there are diets available, and talking to your local vet about those homemade diets could be an option for you as well. Paul, is that a humanism that we put on to our dogs because I know with Gizmo, I'm like, no, Sean, he can't have biscuits tonight because he's bored of biscuits. Is mm. that like, do they do <laughs> yeah. they work like that, or is that us just going it, like, it, you it know? It is a little bit us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we tend to think that every meal's important. Yes. And if we miss one, then that's terrible. In actual fact, dogs 
could often go several days in the wild with, without eating. They're, they're scavenger species. Should we do that to our pets? That feels so mean. Oh, no, no. So ideally, oh, we've, we've domesticated these guys and we yes. have them in a habit. But, it, but uh, what I'm sort of getting at is that if, if they're not eating the diet you want them to do, don't change it too quickly. Yeah. Just keep reintroducing it till Persevere. they do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Look, Louise sounds a little bit like my beautiful mother-in-law who's who with her cats. Oh, my God, she spends a fortune on the food. And she says to me, Sarah, they just won't eat anything else. <laughs> and I say, I'm sure they would. It's just that you're such a softie. So, okay. Oh, that's good to know. Well, good luck with that, Louise. Uh, 49216216. We do have time for another caller. Let's go to Ross in Tanilba Bay. Now, your dog's got a little bit of anxiety. That's correct. Um, she's a three-and-a-half-year-old Shitsu Cross Maltese. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm retired, so um, she's with me. She's worse than a shadow um, <laughs> all day long. She's there when the sun does go down as well. <laughs> yeah, and the worst part is if I go to leave the house at all she barks yeah. and barks and then when I come home she barks and jumps and carries on yeah. um, for five ten minutes after we get back in the place and it's it's just becoming annoying I've mm. tried all various things to bring it under control but she just seems to be um, you know that obsessed with being with me yeah. So, Ross, what you're hearing, what I'm hearing from you is that your dog has developed separation anxiety. Mm. And this is a very common scenario in dogs who live with their owners full time. So, um, at three, there, there is a potential to still try and get this behaviour to be reversed, but it would take a, a lot of talking to some behavioural trainers, or, um, or, and there are a lot about those who can help you with that. Talk to your local vet about obviously using some behaviour modifying medication as well because this is a very big topic and and sadly not something that we'll have time to go through today. But um, important to act soon because separation anxiety, the longer it's present, the worse it will become. And just a very quick sort of hint to you, don't say anything when you leave and don't say anything when you return. So we don't, as, as sort of I spoke to um, the radio earlier, when I come and go for my puppy, we just come and we just go. So making any excitement about your um, departures and exits will fuel the anxiety. So but, but please have a chat to your vet about this because there, there is help out there. Okay, and lucky last, we've got Maureen from Hemlin Terrace. You've got a question about puppy vaccinations very quickly. Uh, yes, thanks for listening to me. Um, I actually, I'm getting a new puppy which will have just had its first vaccinations when mm-hmm. I get it, but then it's five weeks until the next vac. Mm-hmm. Can I associate with other people or and or other animals in that five weekly period? Absolutely. So, provided that the dogs you're meeting are vaccinated, you could certainly have them come to meet you on your home turf. If they're vaccinated, you can have your puppy go and meet them on their home turf. Mum's antibodies and the vaccine are both in play. So as far as risk of parvovirus, distemper and hepatitis is very low. Kennel cough, though, is still in play. So don't go to off-lead areas. Don't go to large parks until you've had that second vaccination at least. Um, But important to meet people in particular. So this is your socialisation window. Have as many people come and meet her in a a pleasant uh, way and lots of only positive reinforcement behaviours. Very good. And that's it for Pet Chat today. You did it. We did it. Oh, so wonderful to have your company. Of course, we will be back same time next week.